thank you for listening to Words and Nerds podcast. Danny V here. Words and Nerds pod are committed to Australian writers and aim to bring you conversational, sometimes deep, sometimes humorous episodes with a diverse range of authors and guest co-hosts. That's why I'm really excited to announce a partnership with Writing New South Wales. I've completed a few of their courses in the past and what I've really loved is the flexibility as I usually only get to pursue my hobbies early in the morning or very late into the night. These online courses give you the opportunity to learn from established authors such as Anwen Crawford, Kate Holden, Ryan O'Neill, Fiona Wright and many more. And the cool thing is you receive both tutor and peer feedback and you get to network with other writers. You can learn from anywhere and at your own pace. Writing New South Wales also offers on-demand courses that you can start anytime. I've just started the Getting Started with Picture Books with Elisa Darlison because it's a process I've always wanted to know more about. If you're a writer, reader, educator, book lover, librarian, aspiring writer, or if you just like me and like to know stuff, check out writingnewsouthwales.org.au. You can also sign up for their newsletter, News Bites, where you guessed it, words and nerds will appear. Thanks for listening and stay safe. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast, author Ryan O'Neill. How are you? Good, thanks. That's wonderful. Now, Ryan, we're going to chat about your ingenious and wacky book, 19 Reinterpretations of the Drover's Wives, which I thought was just fantastic. And I deliberately did not read the contents because I wanted to just continually be surprised as I went through this book. Well, thanks. I'm glad you enjoyed it. (laughs) I really did. Now, for listeners who haven't um, yet picked up this book, can you give us an elevator pitch as to what 99 Reinterpretations of the Drover's Wives is about? Yes, well, I'm sure um, if our listeners are living in Australia, they've almost certainly come across Henry Henry Lawson's classic short story, The Drover's Wife, uh, which is um, probably the most influential um, Australian short story. I think it's been reinterpreted in paintings and by other writers in the last um, 100 years. Um, So in my book, it's um, 99 different reinterpretations of the drover's wife. So I thought, wouldn't it be great to take this uh, short story and to see how far it can bend before it breaks? And the thing is, I don't think it ever breaks. You can retell (laughs) it as a cryptic crossword. You can retell it as a movie script. You can retell it as a sitcom. You can retell it as emojis. Um, so I just had great fun um, finding lots of different ways to retell this um, classic Australian short story. That's it, You're absolutely right, because as I kept going through the book, I just kept finding, you know, another crazy idea. And I wanted to ask you, how did you come up with it? Did you jot down, you know, a couple of ideas and then you went out walking the dog and then you went, oh, what about this? Or what about this? Like, did they come to you over time? Yes, well, strangely enough, that the first idea that sparked the book and didn't make it into the final book, I was actually, we were right, I was walking, um, I was uh, walking home after getting off the bus, and just for some reason, I think I must have seen a street sign, and I was thinking about the drover's wife, and I thought, I wonder if you could retell the drover's wife through street signs, <laughs> and that just, that sparked the idea, and in fact, you could, they did actually have a version where it was um, street signs, like a sign for a kangaroo and stuff like that. Um, but that was, I thought that maybe after that, I thought, oh, maybe there's more. I'll maybe try and do 10 ways. Then I did 10 and I thought I might try and go up to 49. 
And then um, 99 seemed like a good number. And when it actually got picked up in the UK, it ended up being 101 different versions, a couple of different other versions that get added in there. So, um, yeah, it, took, it was over the course of a few months. And I did take a break of a few years because I was working on another book. But then I came back to it. And um, it was interesting to write. At, at times I was thinking, you know, is this actually writing? You know, messing about <laughs> with emojis and stuff like that. Another thing I was thinking of, would anyone actually enjoy this? But people, you know, generally seem to have um, seem to have enjoyed it. And I'm, I'm, it, was ho- it was supposed to be a hopefully fun, light read. And the trick is to try and keep someone's attention for 99 different versions of the same short story, which always terrified me as to whether I pulled that off or not. But people seem to have enjoyed it, which I'm delighted about. I think it was the unpredictability of it too, you know, because when you think retellings, you know, you go, okay, yeah, it could be told as a children's story or maybe a thriller or whatever. But then as I was going through, I mean, I'll list some of them. There was, um, you appropriated into onomatopoeic story, internet comments, which were very funny, a word cloud, which is, you know, very, very relevant. We see one on every PowerPoint we, uh, we look at. Um, and then we had, oh, my favourite was the punctuation page. How did you come up with that? They're just the page of punctuation. Yes, uh, yeah, I just thought it'd be interesting to strip the story of everything else except the um, punctuation. And actually, it took me days to do it. And then I was just chatting to a friend after I'd finished and he said, oh, I could have written an algorithm done that in two minutes oh wow there you go. <laughs> so it's always worthwhile checking for stuff like that but you know it's just another i think i, I came up with probably about 130 140 different versions um and some of them didn't um make the cut because um they didn't quite work or or they were just a bit boring or whatever so the ones that are in there i thought were, the, were hopefully the best ones and the maths problem that was amazing too i turned the page and went a maths problem <laughs> that that was fun yeah it was um for me, I, I, um, I really enjoyed writing it because it was um, each section posed a kind of different problem mm. to overcome, and that's one thing I love about writing. And I hope, um, as a reader, one thing I enjoy is um, is reading different, um, you know, different creative ways of telling a story. So um, it was kind of a no one else was going to write uh, 99 different versions of Henry Lawson's short story. <laughs> you read, I had to write it so I could then read it. <laughs> well I had a lot of fun reading it and was it fun writing it it must have been because I could almost hear you laughing during some of these stories what some parts were fun it, 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 became, it was fun then it was a slog then it was mm-hmm. fun again and yep. there was also you know as with any I think any book there was elements of self-doubt I was like really thinking what am I doing here you know <laughs> this is this is wasting my time um but parts, uh, parts that I did really enjoy. I haven't actually read it since it was published. I don't usually go back and and um, and read um, uh, read when I read it, one of my books when it, when they're published. But um, I can definitely remember that there was um, a couple of times I did laugh as I was writing it, which isn't always a good sign. You don't know whether to laugh at your own jokes is that a good sign or not. Um, so a couple of times, a couple of versions I do have um, fond memories of, um, and they did make me chuckle even as I was writing them. Do you have a favourite story? Uh, from the book, sorry, or a favourite short story? Oh, favourite from your, from your collection here. Um, I think it would actually be, um, I really like the cryptic crossword, which is mm. the, the oddest one, but I, I must admit, I, um, I got a great um, Chris Averbalist, as, as they are called, uh, called Chris Black to um, help me. Well, he, he, I kind of did a few of the clues and 
I attempted a very ham-fisted cryptic crossword. I love cryptic crosswords. I attempted one, and I thought, no, I need some professional help with this. So um, <laughs> I gave him some clues, and uh, a few, only a few, and he did the vast majority of the work and did it brilliantly. And the one thing I love about that is there is a clue where the answer is um, the drover, but the drover is not in the crossword. He's missing. He's away. Uh-huh. And that's, again, it's not just a little in-joke there, which I, I'd imagine goes past, you know, most readers, um, but I love the fact that there's something there that, you know, it's there, um, it's there and a, a few people have actually spotted it. Wow. So I, that, just because of that little, that little Easter egg, I think mm. that's my favourite. And it's such a, a wonderful job by, by um, uh, Chris Black, who did, who did the uh, crossword there. Oh, that's amazing. I love those little secrets in the book. Mm. <laughs> now, I was an English teacher for 17 years. And sometimes when you are teaching, you know, kids short stories like Henry Lawson's short story, you know, sometimes it doesn't resonate with kids. And I was thinking this would be such a great resource to make it fun again. And you could do it with anything, couldn't you? The retelling of classic stories in, you know, modernising them, like you've done it in, in uh, you know, internet feeds or in Twitter feeds, that so you can really make writing and reading fun again, I think, through this book. Well, thanks, Ian. Um, I, I, I should hasten to add, um, you know, what, it's not an original idea. So I suppose nothing is original. Yeah, so, that's um, right. Um, the idea that I kind of stole this from was um, a book by a French writer called Raymond Quinault. It was called Exercises in Style, where he told, um, an even, sort of a, not even a short story, more of a, a pointless anecdote <laughs> in 99 different ways. And that sparked off my idea. But um, he, he did it just with a very, very simple anecdote, whereas I pushed it a little bit further. But certainly um, it's... I think um, it has been used in schools. I've heard, mm. I've heard back from students actually who wow. sent me a very nice email saying that, that they've enjoyed it. And I think um, that's, again, I don't think that was, it wasn't the main reason for doing it, but anything that can bring, I think, young readers to, well, number one, to literature and number two, to Australian literature, mm-hmm. which um, for whatever reason, um, maybe doesn't get as much attention as it deserves in schools and, and universities. If we can make that, fun and accessible, then I think that's definitely a bonus. Yeah, absolutely. It reminded me of um, I used Twitterature in the classroom and, you know, <laughs> that was Oedipus Rex all just done in tweets. and oh, had fantastic. Yeah, it was fantastic and yeah. it made it really accessible to those kids yeah. who just turn their noses up at the classics and they're like, hang on, maybe there's something in this. So it reminded me of that making, you know, those classic stories. Not that I think they're fun, but not everyone agrees. So making them fun again and bringing them to life and breathing new life in, into them, I think. Yes, definitely. And um, I actually, I was recently teaching Macbeth and um, I found someone had done Macbeth through text messages, which was fantastic. You know, Lady Macbeth sending Macbeth a text message and back again. Again, it's, just, it's <laughs> wonderful. And it, it just goes to show kind of how, um, with a story like Macbeth or like the, like the Dover's wife, how um, it's got, there's really something to it where, it, you know, no matter what you do to that story, the, it's got such, such strong bones underneath. Um, there, there is something there that will just carry carry on through no matter what you do to it. And that's one thing I loved about it. It's a, it's a very short story. It's on the surface, it's quite simple. Mm-hmm. But the more I'm like, I read it, count, I don't know if I'll ever read it again. <laughs> oh, don't blame you. Maybe, maybe a few years, but um, I read it countless times. And I can honestly say every, every time, you know, it, there was something new that I noticed, some twist, and you realise um, just how much there is going on under the hood, so to speak, in that mm-hmm. story, where it seems, you know, very simple on the surface, but there's a lot going on under the in the engine that you don't see that, that Lawson, I think, is perhaps, um, un, uh, uh, you know, in a way, 
he's um, overrated and underrated. I think he's overrated in the sense that everyone knows who Lawson is, but I don't think people in general realise just that, you know, he is actually a very complex writer in many ways, I think, um, it's because he has that simple style and it is still very accessible. Um, I think that ten, perhaps tends to get lost and certainly I had a new appreciation of Lawson after reading The Drover's Wife many, many, many times. <laughs> I was wondering how many times you had to read that story, but I think, you know, that is telling of a really good story that lasts throughout time and can resonate with people, even if it's appropriated in different ways. I mean, that's telling that there are complexities and nuances to it, isn't there? Yes, definitely. I mean, um, and again, I've, I've read actually quite a lot of 19th century Australian short fiction. Uh, and there's really not many writers out there that could that could stand with Lawson. One of them would be Barbara Bainton, mm-hmm. who deserves to be far better known. And she wrote some, you know, basically one book of short stories, which I would say is actually better than um, better than than Lawson at his best. She's absolutely amazing. But apart from apart from her, um, the two of them were playing in a different league than everyone else in the mm. 19th century. And for some reason, well, you know, Lawson is is um, is still really well known. Barbara Bainton deserves to be much better known. So um, hopefully people will check out her fantastic book of short stories, Bush Studies. Yeah, well, I'm sold on it. I'm going to check it out. (laughs) Fantastic. You also teach an on-demand self-paced workshop with Writing New South Wales, getting started with short stories. So you're just right into these short stories. Tell us about this. Yes, so I had a a great time putting putting together this online course for Writing New South Wales. And as you said, it's getting started with short stories. So it's... um, I think short stories are great for writers who are get who are getting started, um, be, um, because obviously, well, a novel is obviously much longer, and that's that's one thing. But I think um, a short story is great for a num a number of reasons, in that you can try lots of different things, and you might just put a couple of weeks into an idea. You're not going to spend three years writing a novel and then realize it doesn't work. Um, I think short stories are also great. Because um, unlike a novel, I think a short story as a writer and a reader you can kind of hold it in your hand almost like a jewel and look at and look at the different aspects of it. And because it is short, so it's kind of much easier to identify what things are working mm-hmm. and what things aren't. So I do. I wouldn't say um, that you know. Um, you know, there's the idea that you know a, an author. Which start starts off in short stories and then graduates to the novel and can leave the short story behind. No, I, I totally disagree with that. But um, certainly, there's a lot to be said with even if you want to be um, a novelist. I think there's a lot to be said about starting out with short stories because it is more manageable um, and you're doing everything that a novel does, but essentially much more compressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as I said, it is easier to get feedback on it and see what works and what doesn't. I think it's obviously much easier to read. 50 short stories and 50 novels <laughs> if you read and, and really sort of see what these writers are doing and what works in that form. So I think no matter what level of uh, writer you are, uh, you're at, um, you know, writing and reading short stories can, can only help uh, with your writing. Mm. And what I find interesting about short stories is when you said they're compressed, I mean, you have this idea and you think, oh, yeah, this is going to be a great novel or a great story. How do you then condense it so you have all the elements that a short story is meant to have because your idea probably starts off huge and then you condense it into it and how many words would you say a short story is ideally oh there have literally been hundreds of 
book chapters written about that. Yeah. Every study <laughs> of the short story begins with how do you define a short story? What is short and what is a story? You get you all kinds of wormholes um, with that. What's your philosophy, though? My, my, it's, uh, for me, I think of a short story as, as sort of anything, oh, probably between two and 5,000 words, mm-hmm. anything less than that, anything in sort of 1,000 words range, you're kind of looking at um, flash fiction, possibly. Yep. Again, you can get a whole discussion about that. Yep. And then you've got novelettes and novellas and, and, and graduate and up like that. But I think if you go back to um, Edgar Allan Poe's definition of, you know, a, a, it's a narrative that can be read comfortably in one sitting. Mm-hmm. That's probably a short story. Sit down for half an hour or yep. an hour. And um, and there you go. How do you do that? How do you turn this great idea into two to five thousand words? Yep. Well, um, that, the interesting thing about short stories is that some authors they'll come up with a great idea and they'll write it as a short story, but then they'll realise that it's not actually a short story idea. It does develop into a novel. I've got, I've got friend writer friends who that's definitely happened to. I think. Um, I personally believe that ideas are kind of either novel shaped or short story shaped. Mm-hmm. So um, the ideas that I have are generally short story shaped, which means, I mean, in general, they, they occur over a, a short period of time with only a few characters um, and generally, you know, in, in a limited location. So if you've immediately, if you've immediately got characters, one of them lives in Antarctica, one of them lives in New York, <laughs> you know, there's a storyline in 1935, the storyline in 2005, that's obviously a novel it's idea. Not a short story. Not a short story. <laughs> but what, I mean, one way to find out if your short story has legs is actually to, you know, to give it a go. And it, it might sort of take off and, and go off somewhere we don't expect and actually become, um, and actually become a novel. Mm, interesting. I like that. Um, and you're also a winner of the Prime Minister's Literary Award for Fiction. That's pretty impressive. Tell us about this. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that was um, for um, the book that I wrote sort of in a break with the Rover's Wives. Um, I, I did about 50 versions of the Rover's Wives. Then um, I had an idea for um, a book called Their Brilliant Careers. Uh, the Fantastic Lives of 16 Extraordinary um, Australian Writers. I think that's the subtitle. I've actually for, almost forgotten it. Um, <laughs> seems long ago now. Um, I think it was back in 2016. And it's, um, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's weird talking about short stories and novels. It's mm. kind of a novel. Uh, I suppose it is a novel, but um, it's also kind of a series of short stories. But the idea is that it's, um, it's presented as a straight biography is a straight mm-hmm. work of non-fiction um, where the lives of 16 lesser known Australian writers are um, uh, are narrated in this biography but as you go into it you find that you know um, as most readers do some readers do actually finish the book thinking it's entirely true wow. but you find you know gradually you find it's, it's, it's for humorous intent and in fact there is, the writer of the book Ryan O'Neill is a character in the book and he's married <laughs> to one of the characters in the book that um who actually also wrote the index for the book and she has so that my fictional um wife has a lot of um fun in the index attacking me um, in this <laughs> book. So, so it's a whole lot of metafictional stuff and it come it can come across as too clever clever you know which is always a danger with that kind of metafictional stuff but again the purpose of the book was to entertain um mm-hmm. it's meant to be funny i think some people have found it funny which i'm delighted because i never thought it would be an inverted quotes funny writer. My, I was uh, I've travelled from being a very serious, worthy 
writer um, in my early short stories um, to going in a direction I never expected, but um, I, I'm really enjoying, which is poking fun at things, and I'm really enjoying that. So, yeah, that book, again, that was a book where I had a major crisis of confidence halfway through, thinking, what am I doing? You're writing fictional biographies of made-up writers. No one's <laughs> going to want to read this. This is terrible. And I pushed. Um, and, yes, it, I know, um, I, you know, strangely, I mean, it's, it's called, obviously, Their Broken Careers is a, um, a tribute and takeoff to my broken career by Mills Franklin. It ended up being shortlisted to the Mills Franklin Award, which was unbelievable. <laughs> and then, it, it, again, something unbelievable actually won the Prime Minister's Literary Award. So it just, um, I was honestly, I thought about four people would read it. But, um, <laughs> I was really taken aback um, by, by winning it. And still, you know, you, you brought, that, brought up that Prime Minister's Literary Award win. And sometimes, you know, I don't think about it very often, but when I do, it's like, I think, that, was that, did that really happen? Is that me? <laughs> it just seems, it seems so long ago. And once you've, the funny thing about, that I've found about writing, I don't know about other writers, is I write the books that I really want to read. But the irony is, once I've written it, I never want to read it again. So, <laughs> and that's the case with their broad careers. I, I love the fact, I, I love, it's amazing um, that it won that award, but kind of, it seems like a, a different person wrote that almost four years ago. That's wild. And it almost it? seemed like a different person wrote The Drover's Wives as well. So the, the <laughs> book I'm working on now, that's the one I'm, I'm thinking about. I think it, it's it's always, it's fantastic, but it's best not to look back and always try to keep looking forward. Mm. Yeah, the many sides of Ryan O'Neill. Now, Ryan, <laughs> before I let you go, why do you write? Yeah, I think um, because I have fun doing it. I think um especially in this trajectory I've found myself where um, just really trying to do different things. Can you write a short story in the form of charts and graphs? Yes, you can. Can you write a short story without using the letter E? Yes, you can. <laughs> um, and so, um, so I think I, I want to have, have fun uh, with my writing, but I also think that um, while you're having fun, you can also make serious points. Yeah. I think that's perhaps um, one of the... Um, one of the things that I think is missing in a lot of realist writing, um, and I, I love realist short stories, not every story has to have bells and whistles, but when you think about life, you know, life is not unremittingly grim and bleak, mm-hmm. and even in the midst of some of the worst times we have, we laugh and we make bad jokes and we cheer each other up, and I think um, that's something that I kind of miss sometimes in realist fiction, that if it's funny, it can't be serious. Yeah. Whereas I think no serious and funny work together because life is serious and it's absurd and it's sad and it's tragic. It's all those things. So um, I'm just enjoying sort of, you know, writing some absurd stuff and having fun with it and hopefully the readers have fun with it too. Well, I certainly loved it. And absurd is a great word to describe this book. I just found it wacky and funny and original. And I really enjoyed when I finished a short story, I was really looking forward to seeing what you came up with next. And I've got to say, it just gets more wacky as it goes on. So I thought the crossword, you know, I thought that was pretty crazy. And then I go, oh, there's a mathematics one. Oh, here's punctuation, which I've got to say, I really love that one just because I thought it was so wacky. So thank you for writing it. It was um, it was funny. And I think it, I think you're right when you say that, you know, the writing is a reflection of life. There's humour and there's dark. And in dark times, as we know, 2020 has given us plenty of that. We do need to laugh about it. Otherwise, I don't think we'd survive. <laughs> so. Yeah, definitely. I think if the only, only regret is, well, not a regret, but um, if I'd known Trump was going to be president, I would have done a Trumpian version 
Oh. You know, that would have been so easy to do, but then, yeah. <laughs> would it have been funny? Probably, I could see grimacing there. Maybe, maybe that would have taken it too far. <laughs> I would have read it. Maybe I would have grimaced, but hey, <laughs> very, very relevant. Look, thank you so much for your time, Ryan. Uh, the book, The Drover's Wives, is an incredibly funny and satirical conversation, I think, with a classic story. So thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me.